0: CHAPTER 31 It is probable that the majority of the supposed rosy crosses, generally so designated, were in reality only Rosicrucians. Indeed, it is certain that they were in no way members for the simple fact that they were members of such associations. This may seem paradoxical at first and contradictory, but is nevertheless easily comprehensible. René Guénon, aperçu sur l'initiation, Paris, édition traditionnelle, 1981. Roman 38, page 241. We returned to Rio and I went back to work. One day I read in an illustrated magazine that there was an order of the ancient and accepted Rosy Cross in the city. I suggested to Amparo that we go and take a look, and reluctantly she came along. The office was in a side street. Its plate-glass window contained plaster statuettes of Cheops, Nefertiti, the Sphinx. There was a plenary session scheduled for that very afternoon, the Rosy Cross and the Umbanda. The speaker was one Professor Bramante, referendary of the Order in Europe, secret knight of the Grand Priory and Partibus of Rhodes, Malta, and Thessalonica. We decided to go in. The room, fairly shabby, was decorated with tantric miniatures depicting the serpent Kundalini, the one the Templars wanted to reawaken with a kiss on the behind. All things considered, I thought it had hardly been worth crossing the Atlantic to discover a new world. I could have found the same things at the Picatrix office. Professor Bramante sat behind a table covered with a red cloth, facing a rather sparse and sleepy audience. He was a corpulent gentleman who might have been described as a taper if it hadn't been for his bulk. He was already talking when we came in. His style was pompous and oratorical. He couldn't have started long before, however, because he was still discussing the Rosicrucians during the Eighteenth Dynasty, under the reign of Amos the I. Four veiled masters, he said, kept watch over the race that twenty-five thousand years before the foundation of Thebes had originated the civilization of the Sahara. The pharaoh Amos, influenced by them, established the great white fraternity, guardian of the antediluvian wisdom the Egyptians still retained. Bramante claimed to have documents, naturally inaccessible to the profane, that dated back to the sages of the Temple of Karnak and their secret archives. The symbol of the rose and the cross had been conceived by the pharaoh Akhenaten. Someone has the papyrus, Bramante said, but don't ask me who. The great white fraternity was ultimately responsible for the education of Hermes Trismegistus, who influenced the Italian Renaissance just as much as he later influenced Princeton Gnosis, Homer, the Druids of Gaul, Solomon, Solon, Pythagoras, Plotinus, the Essenes, the Therapeuti, Joseph of Arimathea, who took the Grail to Europe, Alcuin, King Dagobert, St. Thomas, Bacon, Shakespeare, Spinoza, Jacob Burma, Debussy, Einstein. Amparo whispered that he seemed to be missing only Nero, Cambron, Geronimo, Pancho Villa, and Buster Keaton. As for the influence of the original rosy cross on Christianity, Bramante pointed out, for those who hadn't got their bearings, that it was no accident that Jesus had died on a cross. The sages of the great white fraternity were also the founders of the first Masonic lodge back in the days of King Solomon. It was clear from his works that Dante had been a Rosicrucian and a Mason, as had St. Thomas, incidentally. In Cantos 24 and 25 of the Paradiso one finds the triple kiss of Prince Rosicrux, the pelican, white tunics, the same as those worn by the old men of the Apocalypse, and the three theological virtues of Masonic chapters—faith, hope, and charity. In fact, the symbolic flower of the Rosicrucians, the white rose of Cantos 30 and 31, was adopted by the Church of Rome as symbol of the Mother of the Saviour, hence the Rosa Mystica of the Litanies. It was equally clear that the Rosicrucians had lived on through the Middle Ages a fact shown not only by their infiltration of the Templars, but also by far more explicit documents. Romanti cited one Kiesewetter, who demonstrated in the late nineteenth century that the Rosicrucians had manufactured four quintals of gold for the Prince-Elector of Saxony in medieval times, clear proof being available on a certain page of the Theatrum Chemicum, published in Strasbourg in 1613. But few have remarked that Templar references in The Legend of William Tell. Tell cuts his arrow from the branch of the mistletoe, a plant of Aryan mythology, and he hits an apple, symbol of the third eye activated by the serpent Kundalini. And we know, of course, that the Aryans came from India, where the Rosicrucians took refuge after leaving Germany. Of the various groups that claimed descent from the great white fraternity, often childishly, Bramante recognized just one as legitimate, the Rosicrucian fellowship of Max Heindel, and that only because Alain Kardec had been educated in its circles. Kardec was the father of spiritualism, and it was his theosophy which contemplated contact with the souls of the departed that spiritually formed Umbanda spirituality, the glory of our most noble Brazil. In this theosophy, Umbanda, it seems, is a Sanskrit expression denoting the divine principle and source of life. They tricked us again, Amparo murmured, Not even the word Umbanda is ours. The only African thing about it is the sound. The result is Aum, or Um, which is the Buddhist Om, and also the name of God in the language of Adam. If the syllable Um is properly pronounced, it becomes a powerful mantra and produces fluid currents of harmony in the psyche through the siakra, or frontal plexus. "'What's the frontal plexus?' Amparo asked. "'An incurable disease?' Romanti explained that there was a big difference between true brethren of the Rosy Cross, heirs of the great white fraternity, obviously secret, such as the ancient and accepted order, whose unworthy representative he was, and the Rosicrucians, who claimed attachment to the Rosy Cross mystique for opportunistic reasons, lacking any justification. He urged his audience to give no credence to any Rosicrucian who called himself a brother of the Rosy Cross. Amparo remarked that one man's rosy cross was another man's rosicrucian. One ill-advised member of the audience stood up and asked how Professor Bramante's order could claim to be authentic, since it violated the law of silence observed by all true adepts of the great white fraternity. Bramanti rose to reply. I was unaware that we had been infiltrated by the paid provocateurs of atheistic materialism. Under these circumstances I have no more to say and at that he walked out with a certain majesty. That evening Allier telephoned to see how we were and to tell us that we finally had been invited to a rite the next day. In the meantime, he suggested we have a drink. Amparo had a political meeting with her friends. I went to join Allier by myself.